Hello and welcome to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. My name is John DeLille, and I'm the communications guy at Free Life Community Church in Terre Haute, Indiana. Each week, Senior Pastor Dan Willis brings a rich, detailed, and relevant message grounded in Scripture, which is recorded on Sunday mornings and made available for you right here. You can find more messages at freelifecc.com or in the Google Play and iTunes podcast app. Hey, if you've benefited from listening to these messages, we ask that you try to help us out. You can help us out in two different ways. First, you can give us a rating in the app store that you use. Secondly, share this podcast with a family member, a friend, or a colleague. This really does help us to get these messages into the hands of the people who can really benefit from them. All right, without further ado, here's Senior Pastor. What you want. And, and the writer's saying, no, you should be teachers, but you're still chewing on the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. Of course not. How can you become righteous if you won't God, let God transform you from ignorance into righteousness? See, ignorance doesn't mean stupid. It means you're disobedient. It means you don't know and you refuse. Ignorance, when you first begin, is not a, big, is not a bad deal. It's not a big deal because... You, you can't be helped. You didn't know. But when you say, I don't want to know, now we've got a problem. That's disobedience. And this is what the writer's trying to say. He says, solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And so he says, therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. In other words, you already know what it took to repent, and you did that. So why are you going back to the repentance again over and over and over again? Because the things that you repented of, you should be done with. You shouldn't be doing them anymore. You should have moved forward and not deal with them anymore. But you know what, friends? The problem here in the church, universal, I don't care what name is on the front door or where it is, people, again, want what they want. And you know that I've been saying for the last 12 years or so, you know it. What do I say? What do we believe? People what? Want to believe what they want to believe? Because so, so they can do what they want to do. And unfortunately, instead of us looking at the Scripture and moving to that, we've set the standards here and said, let's make them what we want them to be so that we can reach them. No. God says there's going to be two branches of people, sheep and goats. He wasn't talking to the unsaved. He wasn't talking to those who don't believe in the Christ. He was talking to people who claim to be Christian. And he said there's going to be sheep and there's going to be goats. And there's going to be way more goats than sheep. And you're thinking, how could that be? We all said we're Christians. We all think we are. <laughs> That's why we need to stand up and take notice. Amen? We need to stand up and understand that this stuff, God is not kidding. It isn't... You know, the Ten Commandments weren't the Ten Suggestions, right? The Word of God isn't a suggestion. You can't pick and choose what you want. We're going to get to that in a second. Notice he says, you need to get away from instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. We'll keep doing that for those that don't know and need to learn that stuff. But those of you who've already been taught this, you you got to get past that to the next level. you gotta, you got to move up in your spirituality. Nobody wants to stay in kindergarten any longer than they have to. 
Nobody wants to say in the third grade, every single person I ever knew in any school, no matter where it is in the land, wanted to move to the next grade. Nobody wants to be held, held back or left behind. But what if you're not ready? And usually, a person only does it once. But in the Christian faith, we're repeating it over and over and over again. It seems like we keep going through first grade over and over and over again. And that's what the writer's trying to tell us. Can't do that. He says it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God in the powers of the coming age, if they fall away to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. Now, that's a sermon for, yeah, you're going to get it too because we need to look at that, what that means. But I need to move forward with some other things. He says, land that drinks in the rain at often falling on it that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed receives the blessing of God, but land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed, and in the end it's going to be burned. Now, I'll tell you the truth. He talked about people here. And, and I don't want to be that parchment. I don't want to be that person that refused to allow the rains of heaven to fall fresh upon me to produce a good crop. But I said, talk to the hand, I'm going to do what I want, and now I become dry, and I think my ways are correct and right. And God can't move upon me because I won't let him. And you know what grows there? Thorns and thistles. And in the end, what's going to happen? Burned. There are actually people out there, and I'm not being legalistic here, I'm just simply telling you. There are pastors and entire churches and people that attend those churches that I know that are friends of mine that absolutely believe with all their heart, mind, and strength that God will not condemn anyone to hell. It'll never happen. He's too loving for that. And I think to myself, that's a great concept, but where in the scripture did you find that? In fact, you found just the opposite if you've spent time there. Anybody with me? Now, I don't want to dwell on that because, praise God, it doesn't have to be so. <laughs> Nobody has to be condemned to that. And aren't you grateful for that? So, what we need to do then is keep our eyes focused on things above, understand what the scripture says, and live it out. And that's what I aim to do today. And so the measure of spiritual maturity. We talked about last week that everybody wants to mature. problem with it is a lot of times we're not ready. And so we need to make sure that we're moving forward in the scripture. You can't skip grades in school unless you're this brilliant person. And even then, when we do that, they lack things, such as the intangibles, the experience of going through classes and growing up with those who are learning with them. Even kids that skip a bunch of school and, and just go to college and become, you know, these brilliant people that are, you know, they're middle school age. And I've, there's been a few. <laughs> I have to tell you, if a middle schooler is so brilliant that they skip it and go to med school and become a doctor, I am not going to them. <laughs> I don't care how brilliant they are. You know why? You do know why. Because you, there's no substitute for experience. Zero. And this is important. Okay? Now, they'll get there in time. Yes, they will. And I'm grateful that that brilliant. And in fact, they'll probably surpass everybody around them because they have that capacity. But there's no substitute for experience. And we want to try to go around that, skip it, and move on to other things. And you can't. God 
it's a process. He has a process for us. And so remember um, the things that I said to you last week that uh, I recognize the hand of Satan here. This is what Satan wants to do. He wants people to make up their own brand of Christianity as we move along. That's what he wants to do. Because he knows that if he can get us to buy into that, that it's not going to pass muster when Christ returns. And so Satan, of course, is gleeful <laughs> that we've skipped steps or gone around or, or not gone through the process or that we've basically gotten away from the Word of God and made our own brand of what we think it ought to be, and we've lived by that. And you might feel good. You might even do some good things. But it isn't the Word of God that God gave you. <laughs> and that's basically telling God, we know more about it than you do. And see, we don't, we don't want to admit that. We don't want to admit that we've done it, and yet exactly we have. And so uh, several things I want to call your attention to as it relates to this. Because it isn't Christian at all when you do it. You can't be a little bit Christian. Either you're Christian or you're not. You can't be a little bit saved. Either you're saved or you're not. Is that true? Guys, you're quiet today. What's going on? Wake up. Is it true, yes or no? Okay, well, you clearly believe it or you're afraid to tell me no. <laughs> you know I'm probably going to back it up somewhere, right? So anyway, uh, having said that, it, it's not Christian at all. You can't be partially Christian. Either you are or you aren't. Um, and, and I believe, as I said last week, that when the church is in danger of failure across the board, that's when Christ is going to return. Because he says that the gates of hell won't stand against it, and it will remain. And when it's in danger of failure, that's when he's going to return. And none of us knows when that is. But I'll tell you what, friends, I can see the failure of the church looming because people have gotten away from what it is. And so it's time to get, God, get out God's measuring stick and see where we stand because our measuring sticks aren't making it. We make it easier, and you can't. I have some uh, uh, analogies I could give you on it, but I don't want to run out of time today. So rather than making it easier on us, God says, no, my standard is still here. If you want salvation in me and you want the crown of glory that I promised, and if you want to sit at a high place at the wedding feast, then I suggest you understand what's in here and become it. You with me? Who's with me? That's it. That's what you got to do, friends. And so let's talk about that. So let's talk about what causes spiritual maturity. What's the measure? How do we measure? First of all, can we measure spiritual maturity? Well, of course we can. You know, the problem is we tend to measure it ourselves. <laughs> right. You know how you measure your own spiritual maturity? Well, I think I'm spiritually mature. That's how you do it. Wow. What a standard. If you think something, does it make it so? <laughs> huh? Does it? If somebody says, I think this or I believe this, does that make it so? Not necessarily. Right? Because I've had people come to me with certain things, say, well, I, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you'll have to explain that to me. Why do you think that? Well, because. Because why? Well, I, I've always thought that. Well, I, you know, Grandma said that. Well, give her Grandma, but here's the thing. Can you prove it in Scripture? Well, I think so. 
Well, how about let's do it? Let's, let's see together. Let's look, let's look at it together. And nine times out of ten, they have no clue where it would even be. You see, there's a lot of things that people say. Somebody once told me, the Bible says to love the sinner and hate the sin. No, it doesn't. It doesn't say that anywhere. Nowhere does it say that. The concept is there. But are those words ever spoken anywhere? No. You know who said it? Gandhi. <laughs> Actually, St. Augustine. I agree with it. That's true. But nowhere, isn't it? But that, people are basing their Christian faith and their measuring stick, right? They're measuring their Christianity and their belief system on something that's not even in there. And other things as well. You, you, can, make, you can make a book on this. And, and that, that's, that's the problem. And so as I begin to think about that, I go, what, how do we then measure our Christianity? Again, we've got to start with the Word of God. And maybe it won't be something you actually can point to. It might be a conglomeration of things. It might be phrases. It might be uh, different scriptures that go together. But the fact of the matter is we've got to begin with Christian attributes. Christian attributes, things that describe a Christian. As a Christian, these are things that ought to be in your life. Does the Bible tell us that there are things such as that? It does. 2 Peter 1, 5, uh, 1, 5 uh, to 11. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, you could be ineffective and unproductive in your Christian walk. You could be. And nobody in here wants to think that they are. But what if God says you are? And you never knew it. What if you thought that you were mature and you were productive and you, you were effective in your Christian walk and you meet Christ and he says, not so much. That's a fair question, and it's going to happen to some people, I think. And I'm not telling you who it is because I don't know. I can guess based on what the Bible says a Christian ought to be. And to tell you the truth, rather than talking to somebody else about what a Christian ought to be, I want to look here for sure myself and see it. I want to know what it says. Why are we willing to take other people's opinions and never open it ourselves? There is no such thing as Cliff's Notes for the Scripture. You can't do it. Why are we so, so afraid of reading what's in there? Because you know, we don't want to know. Because it's more comfortable to believe what we've always believed and do what we've always done. Thinking the result will be the same, I assure you it will not. Because the Bible says it will not. Because look what he says. Peter says, whoever does not have these is nearsighted and blind. That's another thing. If I said to you, well, you know what? I think you're nearsighted and blind. What would you say? If you told me this is what a Christian is, and I said, well, I think you're nearsighted and blind. What would you say? Who do you think you are? You're not my judge. You can't judge me. The Bible says so. No, it doesn't. <laughs> There's another thing we think it says and it doesn't say. I mean, it begins that way. But, but you can't, this is what everybody wants to do. Let's, let's take the thing that s suits us and use that and jump all over it and stay with it. Good for you. Read further. 
And Christ says, by now, you ought to be able to judge everything, but you can't because you haven't moved forward in your Christianity, and therefore you ought not do it. That's what he says. Who knows that that's what it says? Sure you do, because you've read it. Then why do people stick with the first phrase and stop there? Because it's easier to tell somebody, don't judge me, <laughs> so I can continue to do what I want. That's a, friends, I'm just telling it like it is. You know what I found? People really don't want the truth sometimes. In fact, a lot of times. And yet, here's Peter saying it. Nearsighted and blind. He says, you have forgotten that you've been cleansed from your past sins because you keep doing them. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Make sure you are really part of the sheep and not the goats. <laughs> you can and you should. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. You'll receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, friends, I'm telling you, I've been in ministry, like I said, nearly 30 years. And here's what I have found. I'm still learning. I'm still becoming more righteous. I'm still, I'm still getting closer to God. I'm still, the, the scripture is continuing to open new things to me all the time. Anybody else attest to that? Anybody learning more things every day? Are you learning? Is Christ teaching you? Funny how that works. It never ends. And here's the deal. Number one, a Christian cannot grow without these things. You cannot grow without these things that Peter is talking about. They have to be incorporated into your life as a Christian. But in order to properly add them to your life, then you have to know what they are and why you need them. Because if you don't know what they are, and you don't know why you need them, are you ever going to incorporate them? No, you will not. Moreover, like I said before, these are not suggestions. They're requirements. But Christians seem to think that the church is sort of like Burger King, and they can have it their way. You're getting sick of me using food as an analogy, aren't you? Good thing it's early on. Remember that slogan? Burger King says you can have it your way. I have found that that's not necessarily so. Okay, Burger King used to say that. But we've gotten to the point that we don't like special orders. We don't like to go out. That's just in, in life. We don't, we don't want to go outside of, the, of what we're always used to doing. Go into Burger King now, and some of them will do it. Some of them won't. It kind of depends on who's behind the counter. But they always go ask their manager if they can do it or not. Ask them. If you, if you want a breakfast sandwich, ask them if instead of getting ham or sausage, you can get a burger on it. And every time they'll look up, puzzled. Uh. And I want to say, whatever happened to have it your way? You know what I think's happened? We're so used to having it our way, we think we can have it in everything. McDonald's. Hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. Special orders. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they do. Who remembers that slogan? We're dating ourselves. Yeah? Friends, we, 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 have, we are living in a nation now where we believe we can do and think and say anything we want. We don't, we don't, we don't want to submit to any authority of any sort. 
And if you try to make us do it, we're going to tell you why we don't have to. Teachers, am I wrong? And as a law enforcement officer, I've seen it over and over and over again. It stuns me that people actually think that if an officer stops you or tells you to do something, you don't have to. In every state in the union, the law states you must follow the lawful order of a law enforcement officer. You can be charged if you don't. But I didn't do nothing. Well, it doesn't matter if you think you did or not, and whether you think he's legit or not, or she's legit or not. The fact of the matter is, my advice to you is, comply and do what they tell you. Because it's the law. And if you're arrested, or even if you're not, then complain. Get an attorney and work it out in court. But I'm telling you, if you resist and say no, I don't have to do that because I didn't do nothing. You know, I'm using poor language here, but just do anything. But that's what they'll say. I've had people tell me, I don't have to do that. Oh, yeah, 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 you do. Because if you don't, I, it's up to me how often I'm going to tell you to do it. And maybe by the third time, I'm done. And you know what's going to happen then? Now I'm going to detain you. And I can do that too. Friends, I never did it because I had the authority. I did it because I felt there was a danger or a, law, a crime had been committed or something had happened. And, and, and I think most of our law enforcement officers are like that. But some people, they, they, mm -mm. this is the world we live in now. And we're blaming the police for it. Do we have some bad ones? Yes. Yes. But I assure you that 99.99% of all of the escalations that take place during a traffic stop or an investigation would cease if people would just comply. It's a fact. But we don't want to do that, see. You have to incorporate the right things in your life. You have to have a spirit of teachability. You have to have a spirit of compliance when it's authority above you. But Satan's told you to be prideful. You don't have to do that. And if you'll do it on earth, you'll do it in the heavenly kingdom too. That's a fact. Because you're not going to ever get there. And so, without these things that Peter talks about, a Christian can't grow. They have to be in your life. And you have to know what they are and why you need them. You think you can have it your way? God says otherwise. God says no. I am not going to bend the rules. I'm not going to break them. And I'm not going to change them. Just because your society thinks it's, what we call it, woke and you don't have to. If we were really woke, we would go right back here. Because that's woke. And it's for real. So, what are some things that need to be added to your faith? Faith being the foundation upon which to build. First of all, Peter says goodness, which is the determination to do what is right. He says knowledge. Knowledge of what? The Word of God. Because it tells you what is right. You don't get to make it up. Self-control. Brother, we could use a lot of that today, couldn't we? Application of that knowledge to your life, that's self-control. When you know the right, and now you're going to be endeavored to do it, to apply it. That's what has to happen. It takes self-control sometimes, because you don't want to. Do you think I love rules and want to comply with them all? I think you know better than that. 
But self-control is what allows me to do that because I know it's the right thing. God knows what's better for me than I know. Anybody believe that? See, here's, here's what we think. We think, well, okay, yeah, I agree. I think God knows what's better for Frank, but I know what's better for me. Right? God knows what's better for Shelly, but, uh, but I know what's better for me. Has anybody ever thought that or said that? Even, even if it run through your mind? I've seen people who have gone to others and say, well, the Bible says, and you ought to do that. But, but they're not. Funny how things change when it comes to you. And then we come to this thing called perseverance, which means remaining steadfast to the Lord and His cause no matter what. And let's face it, when we're persecuted or when we're not in a crowd of people that agrees with that, it's easy to mingle in and just kind of melt in and become what they are. Because you want to fit in, you see. I, 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 what, what's the difference here? We look at Peter, who denied him straight up, and then we go do something like that and don't say anything but melt in with the people. You're denying too. Somehow, we make a case for ourselves, but we point a finger at Peter. At least he had the guts to say it. And then later, it crushed him. Didn't it? You see, friends, this is, this is who we are in humanity. And then he talks about godliness, which is obviously what? Being godlike, being like him, which is as he would have you to be, whatever it is. You see? And then there's this mutual affection, which is a, a tender affection toward other Christians in Christ. Do I agree with all of you? No. Do you agree with me? Probably not. But the fact of the matter is, we ought to have tender affection toward one another. Why? Because we have the same spirit within us, and we serve the same God. Amen? Love, and this is actually twofold. You've got to have devotion to God, to Christ, and your fellow humans, whether they're Christian or not. And there's a way to do that. And let me tell you something. I'm going to tell you right here. And I hope it's put out all over the airwaves. Okay? Love for your fellow human does not mean you have to accept their lifestyle. Agree with it or like it. And don't, I, 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 anybody that calls me a bigot and a hater for standing on the word of God doesn't know anything about me. I've never been a bigot in my life. But I do not accept homosexual lifestyle because the Bible doesn't. It is what it is. I do not accept abortion because the Bible doesn't. And those types of people are talking to both sides of their mouth anyway. They will stand outside the courthouse or prison and clamor against capital punishment, but they stand up and scream and holler for a woman and a man's right, by the way, to have an abortion. Come on! You see how messed up that is? Friends, what happened? What happened is we've gotten away from the owner's manual of human life. That's what's happened. We've spit on it and said we don't need it because we know what's best. We're woke. <laughs> and you can be woke all you want. But the day will come, whether you're in the grave or you're still alive, and Christ is going to come in the clouds. He's, gonna, he's not going to come to earth, but he's going to be in the clouds. And you know what's going to happen there. And either you're going to go to be with him or you're not. That's going to happen. 
Guaranteed. That's going to happen. And I think a lot of people are going to say, man, I thought I was woke. <laughs> well, you're woke now. You're woke now. Because you missed it, didn't you? And it doesn't mean you can't go to heaven here at this point, but it's going to be, <laughs> Jesus said, nobody wants to see it. Nobody wants to go through it. And as far as I can see, Revelation and Daniel tell me, you might still go to heaven if you change your ways, but you're going to go through the great tribulation. You won't want to do that. Nobody will. And so I look at this and I'm like, wow. So it's twofold. Devotion to God, your fellow humans, Christian or not, and which the Bible commands is expressed in obedience to God, which causes you to be of service to all people. You see, friends, if you really love God, don't just say it. You know what God demands from you more than anything? Obedience. Obedience. That's love. Wow. Because we think love is going to church. We think love is giving money to somebody who's homeless. We think that loving God is, you know, saying I'm a Christian and doing the things that we're willing to do. But the fact of the matter is, here's what we do. We pick and choose in our Christian life what things we're willing to do in the kingdom and what things we're not willing to do. And we decide on the things we're willing to do all the time. Do you really think every single person called to ministry wanted to go to ministry? Do you think that every single thing in my Christian life that God has, has required me to do, I wanted to do? You know what I found? God, more often than not, tasks me with doing things I have no interest in doing than the things I'm willing to do. Have you ever considered that? I'll go one better. Do, do, a, do a study on every single character in Scripture, every person. And you tell me how many of them wanted to do what God told them to do? How many? That many. In fact, oftentimes, when they wanted to do something, God would say, mm -mm. I was reading the other day in my devotions about King David. King David absolutely, with all his heart, mind, and strength, loved God, and he wanted to build the temple. God said, no. What? Never? Never. Your son's going to do it, not you. I know that had to devastate David. God said no. And that's not the only time. Friends, it's, it's, read it. It, 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 it. You want to be enlightened? Do a study like that. It will enlighten you. And it will put things in perspective for you too, I promise you. Basically, if you are maturing as you should, then all of these things I just mentioned ought to be abounding in your life. Notice I said abounding. They can't be just present. They have to be evident to everybody who sees you. And they have to be growing. That's abounding. They're taken over. And yet, if you lack these things, believe it or not, you are absolutely blind as to what your life in Christ should be about. That's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, and that's what it means. You're absolutely blind. 
to what your life in Christ ought to look like. And incidentally, these things are never going to come easily. <laughs> it takes diligence on your part. There's that self-control. You know, uh, I, I'll be honest with you. There are certain things I have, I'm weak in the knees for. I, I can't help it. You know, I'm one of those guys I talked about last week. If, you, if somebody's barbecuing, I can't drive past. I, I, I love barbecue. I, can, I, I could eat it pretty much. I probably wouldn't eat it every day, but it'd be a lot. I struggle with ice cream, too. I'm sorry. I, I'm, 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 I'm bearing my soul here. I'm just being honest. <laughs> and my wife will tell me, do you really think? No, honey, I don't, but. <laughs> right? I, it wasn't always so. In fact, when I was younger, I didn't really care for sweets that much. I don't know what it is. Why is that? When you can eat it, you don't. And when you shouldn't eat it, you do. I. That's a phenomenon I don't think any psychologist in the world ever figured out. But see, this is, this is how it is. You've you got to say, no, I'm not going to do it. You know? When you, when you start to have health problems and certain things you can't eat, listen, you, you, uh, this is another thing. Popcorn, I'm going to tell you right now, that is my weakness. And because I have colon issues and I bleed from it, I can't eat it. Every single time I've had a bleed, that it, I had eaten that. Every single time. Now, my doctor tells me, no, we've come to the point, we think you can probably, <laughs> but I'm telling you, every time I do it, I bleed. So, friends, I would go to the movie theater just to buy the popcorn and leave. That's me, right? Anybody else got a, a terrible addiction to popcorn? Who's got one? Come on. Be honest. But when, it, see, some of you are not telling the truth here. But, but here's, here's what I know. I know that if, if, if I know that it's bad for my health, that it, it could cause... See, the consequence of that is worse than just not eating the popcorn. And I've had to train myself. And, and my wife and my grandkids, you know, the, they used to say, you know, no, we're not, we're not because we, you can't have it. And I go, no, it doesn't. Go ahead. I'm not going to keep others from indulging in it. If they can, it's okay. Because I know what's best for me, and I'm secure in that. And you know, if, if I can do it with popcorn, I can do it with spiritual things in my life. I, I, I can do it. In, in my own strength, no. And with devil prompting me, no. But with Christ, I can. Because he's given me the way. He gives me the protection. He gives me what to focus on. And it's more important. I can do it. And so can you. These attributes have to be in your life. And it takes diligence. But you can do it. Secondly, what else do you use to measure? The fruit of the Spirit. Notice I didn't say fruits. You know, why, you know why the Bible doesn't say fruits of the Spirit and why people who say fruits are wrong? Because it isn't. It's fruit of the Spirit. Because if we say fruits, we will pick and choose which ones ought to be there. No. Mm -mm -mm -mm. It's fruit, which means they all have to be there. Do you grasp that? Okay? And I didn't, you don't have, listen. Yeah, I've got a doctoral degree, but I didn't get that yeah, I, don't, I don't understand that because of a doctoral degree. I get it because that's what God says. God wants me to have every single one of those fruit in my life. All of them. Not pick and choose. Agreed? And so in our minds, this is what we'll do. And so Galatians 5, 16 to 25, and this is my go-to scripture these days. So I say, Paul says, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Boy, that just brings home what we just talked about, didn't it? doesn't it? 
If you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify, right, the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires, get this, what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. In other words, they cannot coexist. They fight. And they should. So why are we trying to have both of them in there? I think a lot of Christians are living that way and they're in torment. They're trying to live by their own fleshly desires and still allow the Spirit in. It's just not going to work, friends. It can't. In fact, he says they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Straight up says it. Look it up. There it is. I copied and pasted it, but it, it's in there. You are not to do whatever you want. We should probably say that again. You are not to do whatever you want. But society says I can. And God says, uh-huh. But I'm telling you, you can't. <laughs> but, no buts. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer under the law. And see, that's been misinterpreted for years. Misinterpreted for years. The, this grace, love, and mercy people who think there's going to be no consequences, who think that God won't send anybody to hell, and He won't, you'll do it yourself, by the way. But the fact of the matter is people that think everything's permissible, everything's acceptable, everything is whatever you want to do, it's just love, love, love. Well, I got news for you. Right here, just dispels that right now. He says you're no longer under the law. Under the law of what? Evility. Under the law of this earth. Under the law that Satan imposes. That's what he's talking about. And unfortunately, many people, including pastors in the church, have misunderstood that and used grace as a license to do whatever you want. Mm -mm. That's an oxymoron, and, and he destroys it right here by the next thing. He says you're no longer under the law of ability, basically, because the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred and discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness and orgies, and the like. And I warn you, he says, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Friends, if you weren't under the law of the Old Testament any longer, then he just contradicted himself of what he just said. He said, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of heaven doing these things. And the law of the Old Testament said not to do those things. He's talking about the law that runs this earth. And who is the ruler of this age? Who's the ruler of this atmosphere? Who is it? Satan. Does the Bible tell us that? See, see when you have the fruit of the Spirit in you, you're no longer under Satan's law. That's been broken. You, you can live by the Spirit of God within you, and you should. And if you do, these things won't even be present. But see, Satan wants them to be present. But God has broken the grip that Satan has on humankind. And the only way he can keep it is if we give it to him. You understand that? This is so simple, cavemen could get it. And the only reason we don't is because we don't want to. I warn you like I did before. You live like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, notice it said fruit, not fruits. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. When you have, those things are the fruit of the Spirit, so when they're in you, the law of Satan cannot come against them, and it cannot overtake them because he's already been defeated. Do you see how easy this is? We've got to stop misinterpreting it. Again, grace is wonderful. I'm grateful for it. But it is not a license to keep sinning and do whatever you want. It's the means to do what you must. And these fruit of the Spirit will help you get there. In fact, he says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. And self-control takes over and they no longer indulge in those things. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now notice, what does the Spirit produce? It produces fruit. You know why? Because it has to. If you have the Holy Spirit in you, it's producing fruit in you. And if it isn't, you don't have it. I want that to sink into you for a minute. If you're not producing fruit, the Spirit's not in you. If you're not producing those things that Paul just lined out to the church of Galatia, if you, if you don't have those things in you and growing and expanding, then I question that the Spirit is even in you at all. Because if it is, they have to be there. God will see to it. They will grow in you because the Spirit is those things. It's so simple. So, again, if you aren't producing it, this passage clearly says it's fruit. And guess what? The Spirit can't be present. Because the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit cannot exist separately. The Holy Spirit and fruit of the Spirit cannot coexist or exist separately. They can't do it. They are always together. They are always together. Because the Spirit always produces fruit. In fact, by ruling in and controlling your life, which is exactly what it is designed to do, the Spirit subdues and then holds in restraint all of the evil passions and lusts that want to live in your life. In fact, the great Church of Christ preacher and Nashville Bible School founder, uh, who eventually, by the way, uh, which eventually became Lipscomb University down in Tennessee, some of you may have heard of that. Uh, his name was David Lipscomb, and he once said that when evil takes hold in a Christian life, it will develop into activity and practices which then begin to spread like germs in the spiritual life of a person. Wow. When evil takes hold, it begins to rapidly run through your life and take control. And I begin to think about that, and I think David Liscombe is right, because when it becomes activity and practice, and it happens so subtly and so easily, then this evil seems to get along with our desire to be a Christian and gain the benefits of eternal life, and it cannot. They seem to get along, and they cannot. Because what seems Christian isn't. And that brings us right back to square one, doesn't it? And this is where the confusion takes place, because the fruit of the Spirit prevents this from happening, and it weeds it out when it, when it starts to begin and take, take hold. So if we're going to talk about that, then we have to say, what does God's standard say? It says that the fruit of the Spirit is these things. You have to love God and your neighbor. Okay? You have to have joy. And, and joy, by the way, is not based on external things that we consider happiness. And there's where we get screwed up anyway. Because everybody says, well, you know, uh, I know that God wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. 
You want you to have joy. And they're different. Because I can have joy and not be very happy. Right? But if I don't have happiness and no joy, well, I'm like this. I'm up and down. I'm all over the place. You see, joy is in the heart, but happiness is in the face. Have you ever noticed that? Joy is in the soul. Happiness is in the moment. See, the permanence of one and, and the temporary manifestation of the other. Joy transcends all things, but happiness reacts based on what I'm going through. Night and day. Joy embraces peace and contentment. It wants to be discovered, but happiness never finds either in difficult times. Man, that's a big one. Joy runs deep and it overflows. Happiness just hugs hello. And then it's gone. Joy is a practice and it's a behavior. It's deliberate and it's intentional. But happiness comes and goes along its way with little regard to anything. Joy is profound and it's scriptural. Don't worry, rejoice. Happiness is fleeting, he says. Don't worry, be happy. You've heard that before, haven't you? In fact, we've banked on that, don't worry, be happy. I even wrote a song about it. But it won't last, friends. Never has. Joy is an inner feeling. Happiness is an outward expression. Wow. Joy endures hardship and trials, and it connects with meaning and purpose. Happiness comes and goes, has no meaning. And you know what, friends? A true Christian may pursue happiness, but they ultimately will always choose joy. Did you hear that? A true Christian may pursue happiness, but they will always ultimately choose joy. Now we get to come to this thing called peace, and it begins with God, and it passes all understanding, and then it comes to peace of the soul. Forbearance or long-suffering. You have to bear with the mistakes and wrongs which grow out of weaknesses, infirmities, even the evil designs of others. It's hard to do, but you can do it. Christ did. Huh? The Bible's full, wrought with the things he did as it, as it relates to forbearance and long-suffering of people. Now, yeah, he said, how much longer do I have to put up with you? I know that. But he did, didn't he? Kindness. Gentle toward everybody. Return good for evil. We're not taught that. We're taught to, if somebody does evil, give it back. Faithfulness, complete trust and confidence in God. Gentleness, being quiet, have a forbearing spirit when it suffers wrong without any resentment, but firmness and unyielding devotion to the right no matter what. Self-control, restraining all of your passions and desires within the limits of the divine standard. That means giving God control, and you can Yes, my friends, the fruit of the Spirit is obvious. It is measurable. And the standard by which God will not only hold us, but what He expects from us in this life. Man, that's huge. Lastly, there are other attributes of maturity in the Scripture. First of all, in Hebrews 5, we read the ability to take on solid food. 
And Paul gives us the example of the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, and there's that Spirit again, but by people who are still worldly. Because you're, when you're worldly, you're still, you're still infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready to receive it. Indeed, you're still not ready. Because you're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like just regular humans? You see, when you act and look like everybody else who's not saved, chances are you aren't. Because if the fruit of the Spirit is in you, you will not look anything like them. You won't react to the same things or ways that they do. You won't do the things that they do. And you'll exercise self-control when everybody else seems to be doing something you know is wrong. Yes or no? It's hard to argue with bold-faced reason, isn't it? And that's all Paul's giving you here. That's what the Word of God says. And somebody out there is going to say, well, Jesus didn't say it, so. Well, no, maybe not by person, but what he did do is appoint Paul and say, you're going to be this. Met him after he'd already ascended on the road to Damascus and said, hey, you're going to be my messenger. You're going to be, and, and, and Paul knew who he was. And everything Paul wrote, God put in here. Yes or no? If it wasn't supposed to be here, God wouldn't have put it there. He wouldn't have allowed it to be there. But it is there. So Satan says this, and God says something else. It's just real simple. And when you take, when you get the ability to take on solid food, then it allows you to deepen your study and application. And that's what you have to do. In Hebrews uh, 5, we also find that you ought to have the ability to discern good and evil. That's also a measure. When you don't know what's good and what's evil, if you don't know, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say it. <laughs> Does it really have to? You should know. I mean, why do we wear a bracelet that says, what would Jesus do? We have no intention trying to figure it out. Right? I would almost rather get a bracelet that says, what did he do? James 3.2 says you have to have the ability to control your tongue. And brother, I don't know. I don't know whether I'll win that one. Matthew, Jesus says you have to have love for your enemies. He says, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than anybody else? Do not the pagans also do that? He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And I can't tell you how many times uh, Christians will say, I'm not perfect, I'm never going to be. Wrong answer. Christ just told you to be perfect right here. Don't tell me you can't be. Because if you're in Him, you can be. And you'll be presented as perfect. Amen? So why not try to be perfect in this life? Because Satan doesn't want you to try to be perfect in this life. He wants you to have a crutch and say, oh, I can't be. No, Jesus said be perfect. But we don't ever want to read that, see? And yet there it is. And then we have to have this realization of our own imperfections. Paul says in Philippians 3, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings. I want to become like Him in His death and so somehow attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already attained this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature (laughs) should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, then guess what? Then God will make that clear to you too. Man, that's huge. We ought to have a message on that. Stop screwing around down here in the garbage. Put your eyes up here and then crawl out of it and take hold of that. You can't have one foot in the garbage and one up in heaven. It doesn't work. It's never going to work. Get out. He brought me out of the miry clay. He set my feet on the rock to stay. Now, we don't sing a lot of hymns anymore, but I'll tell you what. I know what was going through the heart and mind of Charles Wesley. Anybody? I understand that. So how do you measure up? Are you growing as a Christian? Are you keeping on reading? Are you studying? Are you applying these passages? And are you being diligent in your efforts? Are you spending tons of time in prayer? Instead of just asking God for things, are you, are you imploring God to change you? There you go. Do that. We don't want to pray for that so much as we pray for things we think we need. Stunning. Okay? If you do these things, I think you'll become complete, mature, and perfect in Christ. Why? Because not only did Jesus command you to do it, He says you can. He gave you the best example the world has ever seen in doing it, in Him. So why are we saying we can't then? And why are we proving that we can't? And as our worship team comes, I would say this to you. Scotty, go ahead. And, and I would say to you that a lot of the issues that we have in our Christian life, our Christian walk, is choice. We'll say it isn't. We'll say we can't help it. We'll blame circumstances. We'll blame people. We'll blame our, not, our inability to understand the depth of the Scripture. That's what we'll say. We'll blame a lot of things. But I have to tell you, friends, I understand the Scripture pretty well, I think. And I, there was a time when I didn't. And how do you think I got there? How does anybody get there? By deciding to be in it. By deciding, I will not be denied. I'm going to know what's in there. I'm going to know why. And I'm going to apply it. And every single day, God will give you just a nugget of something. And when He does it, you can choose what to do with that nugget. If somebody gave you a nugget of gold or silver, I don't know anybody who would say, no, give it back. I don't know anybody who would say, ah, where'd you get that? In that stream of that. I don't know anybody that would accept. I think everybody would. But see, when we get nuggets from Scripture, we're, uh, we pick and choose whether we're going to grab the nugget or not. Why? Because you don't see it as a nugget. You see it as a suggestion. Or you see your ability to pick and choose what you have to do and what you don't. And God says, no, you don't have that choice. Because my measuring stick is up here. And my standards are so high that if you reach them, you'll be with me in eternity. But as it is, you want to make your own measuring stick and you want to put the standards down here where you think you can reach that and you believe that that will get you here and it won't. I remember one time long ago, uh, go ahead and stand with me. A number of years ago, uh, I was on one of my last seasons of playing softball. Probably went about 
five seasons too far. And I remember I was always a pretty good ball player and I had tons of speed. And if I could drill, I used to be able to place the ball, and if I could drill one into the gap every single time, that might be a single for some people, but it's a double for me every time. And it might be a triple. And there were days I did it. And, and some of you were there, my son-in-law remembers. Uh, I drilled one into the gap and I was in my 50s and that was a bad idea to push that thing any further than I did. And I got to first base, didn't even think about it. I was going to second. And dumb me decided, I think I can make that a triple. And round about the time I turned the corner at second base, something, a metamorphosis began to take place. I began to find that my legs were not feeling strong and agile, they are feeling more like jello. I felt like Gumby as I'm trying to run. And I noticed that my steps were becoming slower and they were becoming shorter. And I also noticed that um, uh, I've started to feel pale and peaked. And I felt like I started to sound like a freight train because I was wheezing. I was completely out of gas, I ain't lying. And it happened before I got the midway, but still, again, my desire to get to that bag was still, and the ball hadn't gotten there yet, and I'm like, okay. And so I just kept going, kept trudging, and I, and I, I started to feel like I was just faltering, and maybe I wasn't going to make it. And just before my legs gave out, I thought I could make it, and I dove to the bag, and I slid in. Problem with it is, I was this far from the bag. And all they had to do was smile and tap me. And all my teammates, all my son, my son-in-law, all my friends in this church are going, hey! And I just didn't quite make it. It looked good for a while, but it didn't get me there, did it? You know what, friends? I think the Christian life is a lot like that. The difference is, with Christ, you will always make it. You'll always get there. He will always give you everything, including the strength, the wherewithal, the perseverance, everything that you need. But you got to be a mature Christian to get there, and you got to stop being a baby about it. You don't let people be a baby for very long. You call them out. And we need to start calling each other out when it comes to spiritual maturity, too. Because that's the only way the church is going to expand and grow and draw people and fulfill its mission. Join me today in doing that. Thanks for listening to the Free Life Community Church Podcast. For more great biblically sound teaching, visit freelifecc.com.